0: You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Tooth and Claw, so you don't have to. JR. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Simon. And we, uh, in the last few weeks, have talked about the Vampires of Venice, the Unicorn and the Wasp, and Rose. And because we put up for David Tennant and for Matt Smith a selection of stories for our listeners to vote for on Facebook to see which ones we talk about. And because we've been enjoying talking about those stories, watching them and then talking about them straight afterwards, and because lots of people voted for the stories we didn't talk about, we thought, oh, what the hell? Because we'd put out one story from each season that we hadn't reviewed since the podcast came into being, we're going to go ahead and do those other stories anyway. So,
1: the votes were so close anyway. that it's, Yeah,
0: especially it's... the data, the um, Matt Smith one. The two stories drew, mm. Mm. more or less. There was one vote in it, and even that wasn't actually a proper vote. It was just a... <laughs> well, the one vote that won it for Vampires of Venice was just somebody saying, well, I'm not voting for either of them, <laughs> but I suppose I'd vote for Vampires of Venice if I had to. <laughs> in theory, we
1: could have done both, ep- both episodes in the same podcast, couldn't we, like a coalition? Yeah very topical it, uh, yeah. no just no I see what, I'm, I'm taking myself to the cinema on Thursday night to um, I might watch a real late night showing the Avengers just so I don't have to think about the election
0: why I think it's fascinating I've got Friday off Utter- and I'm utterly depressing <laughs> I'm so tempted to stay up all night Thursday just to watch what happens mm, okay well it is the most interesting election I think we've ever had you know in our lifetimes yeah. Well, this in, it'll in, all be over in, and done by the time this podcast goes
1: out. In as much as it's not as defined as... Uh.
0: Well, last time, I think everybody knew what was going to happen, pretty much. Hmm. But this time, nobody knows what's going to happen. It's not like it's... Last time, I think everybody knew going into the election that there was going to be a coalition, right? Hmm. But this time, I don't think you can even predict that, necessarily. It looks like there probably will be. But I don't think you can say at this point, I'll be in my words when this podcast goes out and we've got a coalition government. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: many undecided voters, even even the ones who are
0: imperial companies that work for particular political. The weird thing last time was, (laughs) you had the Liberal Democrats went off to talk to Labour first and Labour turned them down and then they turned around to the Conservatives. But everybody was expecting the Conservatives to form a coalition anyway. So even though Liberal Democrats had spoken to Labour, nobody was actually expecting Labour to say yes to them. But this time it's like, who's going to get into bed with whom? And are the Liberal Democrats even going to have any MPs?
1: Watered down politics.
0: Hmm? What's watered down?
1: Just all of it. It's all the same.
0: I don't yeah, think you can
1: say yeah, that. It's more the, it's more samey now than it ever has been. I had a really interesting you know, when s- we when, s- we, when we grew up, you know, politics was so they were so different. Labour was so different to conservative. The you know the uh, what was it? The SDP came out and all these things. they were they all had their really strong opinions about certain things. This just seems so watery at the moment, and everybody's pretty much ah, oh, it's all a level. It's not mate. that
0: so much. There's Promise two things. Promise break
1: it. Promise <laughs> and break it. Bullshit. <laughs> sorry go on uh, did, I hate politics so much it yeah, God,
0: the way government works yeah I understand all of that I just don't enjoy it right you don't have to enjoy it but you can't You can't criticise the people who want it. to make a change no, no, for not no, being no, able no. to make a change because of the way the system is yeah. and the difference you've got yeah. these days well the difference you've got these days is if you looked at what happened back then especially during the 1970s because that's really what you're thinking about right mm. If you go into politics and your party wins on a radical platform and you put that radical platform into motion yeah, okay, you, you achieve certain things that are part of your radicalism but what you do by achieving those things is you sacrifice so much else. You look at what happened in the late 1970s and a Labour government were obviously doing a certain amount of good things but the price they had to pay for that was incredible inflation, which crippled the country. So these days, the reason it's warded down is not necessarily because people's ideals are watered down, but because in order to do it sensibly, you've got to try and make things work without sacrificing other things. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing not to cripple the country, but to try and make change without crippling the country. Yeah. And then you look at what Thatcher did. And it was, you know, the opposite. Have,
1: haven't we got to stay politically unbiased? Uh... Well mm. on the podcast. Neutral. Why? I don't think so. Just checking. Just checking. Yeah. Uh, uh, Scaredy pants. Well on the radio we've got to stay impartial. <laughs> we yeah, do. Radio. This is a podcast. Have you ever different?
0: heard the Starbus radio show? Oh, there God, is yes. nothing impartial <laughs> about the Starbus <laughs> radio show. <laughs> <clears throat> oh uh, yep. Actually, I've got two or three to catch up on, so I don't know what they've been saying about the election. Uh, but I can imagine if they've gone into it, there will be nothing impartial about what they've been saying. At least I would hope not. No. So, it's about w- figureheads,
1: though, isn't it? Have I mean, you noticed? It, it's just—it's just all about the leaders. There's mm. no. It's, it's about, about foreheads. You've got to look behind Cameron and look at some of those faces behind. You think, actually, yeah, am I going to vote for him? No, of course not. Yeah, that's the famous all about that, really, isn't it? It is not <laughs> it It should be about running the country properly, giving education to everybody. Yeah, but it has to be. because Teaching people to read books and read words and actually have a little bit of intelligence and imagination in their brain, so they can go ahead and forge a brand new engineering kind of, you know, industry of some kind that will just save us all like we uh, were so great in the early
0: parts of the century, last century. What planet do you live on, Lee?
1: I live in the UK. I live on Earth. I live you heaven.
0: don't think there are people out there doing all these things? Yeah, Where do you there's, think there's the so internet many. came from, and where do you think all well, these other things come from? I don't from? know. Maybe if
1: you... Um, where did the internet come from?
0: It came from the brains of people who are doing exactly what you've just described. Yeah,
1: but there are not many of them, and this is what we're talking about. It's all... It's all it's all in it's all to do with computers, right? Which is great. This is a fantastic. Well, I'm not talking to, about what about the kind of you know I'm the engineering side of it and the you know the exports. And it's just ridiculous that we're losing a lot of skill base. Oh, you mean in this country's yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. It's too big a subject to talk about now, but it's. Uh, I just think we've got to get rid of short-term mm-hmm. thinking. That's as much as I'm going to say. Just read a bit more.
0: Well, that is the problem: short-term thinking. Mm-hmm. Short-term fixes for long-term problems. I know.
1: As soon as I hear people saying, well, do you know what? Who I'm going to vote for? I'm going to vote for the person who I'm, who makes me better off at this point in time. And I just think, well, that's not really the way to do things, is it?
0: Well, you've got to, yeah. This is, this is what I will always say to people who complain about it, though. If you've got a gripe about the way the system works, then get off your ass and stop doing what you're doing mm. and get yourself into the system. Yeah. Because if you feel that strongly about it, people can change it by getting involved with it. And as for, mm. you know, the thing about... Agreed. But as for the thing about figureheads being what elections are all about, yes, because 90% of the people who are going to go into the polling booths and put a cross in a box don't know any more than the figureheads. What you've got to do as a party and as a membership is make sure that the person you're putting up as the figurehead is A, charismatic enough to carry the votes, and B, has a weight of people behind him who are not the figurehead, who are going to do the work, who will make the changes. But. Yeah.
1: <coughs> anyway, we could go back and look
0: at the history of... Yeah, we should have prom- done this two weeks ago who's because pro- it's too late to what? talk about this now anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who's promised what and uh, what was delivered and the, you know, the percentage of that. The trouble um, with making promises is... I mean, uh, West Wing is an American programme, but if you watch the West Wing, the system's not that radically different from what happens over here. And the West Wing is the best education you can ever get into how (laughs) politics works. You can go in with as many bright ideas as you like, but if you can't get the rest of the members of parliament behind you on those bright ideas... They will either get rid of them altogether or water them down to the point at which yeah. they don't mean anything anymore. And there's a
1: billion internal minuscule kind of micromanaged bits of politics going on all over the place which stop you, you okay. know, actually acting upon the main oh, yeah. thing that everybody sees, the public. We've
0: had so many we've had so many reforms in the last twenty years that people just don't even realise happened because when it comes down to street level, by the time they're implemented you don't even notice them. That's mm. right.
1: Mm. Before we go off the subject, <clears throat> just one thing that came up in the Green Party manifesto that people picked up on, was this business about
0: the 14-year copyright The patents.
1: Law. The patents, yeah. yeah.
0: It wasn't copyright, it was patents, wasn't it? Oh, I see the word
1: copyright was being banded around. Oh,
0: yeah, because they were talking about their sort of patent that's inherent within a copyright. They actually used... Yes, they, they were talking about copyrights, but what they said that people didn't notice is that they were talking about patents. They were talking... Oh. And that is kind of potentially extremely damaging it's all very well to talk of us as creative people about only receiving money for 14 years after you've created a product that's really by the by because the only people who are going to benefit from that are you and potentially your family right Mm -hmm. if you're talking about patents if they were to extend that to all patents and say that patents will always have a limited lifespan you're actually talking about getting rid of experimentation and innovation within medicine and things like that you're Mm. talking about crippling these big companies and you know people can complain about the big companies but companies like you know Glaxo and that they've got the money to put into research because they charge a huge amount Mm. for what they do Mm. while the patent's still active and if Patents weren't active and they weren't earning those huge figures. They wouldn't put the money into research. And, you know, in the last 15, 20 years, the advancements we've made towards getting rid of cancer, you can't get rid of cancer because it's not a virus or something that you can wipe out. Cancer is something that will always be with us. But what you can do is get it to the point at which when you've got cancer, you know, 30 years ago, if you got cancer there was a 90% chance you were going to die and a 10% chance you were going to survive. These days, I think the balance is probably somewhere on the verge of tipping, you know, in the other direction. So yeah, you've got yeah. more of a chance of survival yeah. than you had. And it's only because of huge companies, and universities is another part of that, who have the money to invest and in research into these things. As well. And the focus. Yeah.
1: And the focus as well, to be able to concentrate on that particular thing that they're specialising. You're talking about specialisation.
0: Special, yeah, specialising. But if you took away the opportunity to focus on that, yeah, <clears throat> and that's the big worry with.
1: And also, some kind of massive regu- regulatory body to to monitor these things. If you get a patent for a particular device or something like that, and everyone can make them, then you've got to monitor each of those people to make sure that they're making that yeah, particular yeah, yeah. product to a certain standard. Mm. Well, I'm hoping one day we'll get those gills that the air zone solution
0: um, mm. promised. Or are you talking about Warlords of Atlantis. <laughs> but the thing of it is, whether you're left wing or right wing or whatever, mm. you can't discount the politics of the other side because it's not as black and white as to say that one side or the other is right and the other side is wrong. Mm. And talking of regulation, they regulate each other to yeah. a certain degree. Don't Every If there's a debate to be had, then there are going to be Positive arguments on both sides of that debate, whatever. But mm-hmm. people obviously should still have voted Labour in this election. And if our listeners haven't, I'm going to be sorely pissed off about it. <laughs> <laughs> you selfish bastards. <coughs> uh, should we talk about Doctor Who? Yeah, let's go. What for the wolves. Wolves. Hey, hey, come on, it's a BBC programme. But before we get into these werewolves...
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, I tell you what, before we get into Doctor Who, I've got a review film. And I watched half of it this morning, and I'm intending to watch the other half tomorrow morning. And I'll just give you a preview, because I'll probably talk about this a bit more next week, right? Because I've said before on this podcast, what happens is on the website, they email all the writers for the magazine say, these are the films for this week. Throw your name in a hat, and we'll send you something, you know. And there was a film called RZ9. And I, you know, when they they come up, I Google them. RZ9. no it's RZ9 because okay. it's an American film okay you wouldn't say Jean de Florette.
1: what am I just just, <laughs> just uh... no I wouldn't sorry no you I'm just wouldn't I'm making a joke for the sake of it I'm sorry alright
0: so if it's Jean de Florette, it's yeah. RZ9 okay Honestly. World War Z World War Z it's World War Z okay. whether you're English or American it's World War Z that's what the movie's called
1: yeah because you say zombies, don't you Kids are at school learning the alphabet, and the best way of learning is that song that doesn't make any sense at the end. I know. What song? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah, that's not too old.
0: <laughs> A bit old no. For the
1: rhyme to work at the end, it has to yeah. be Z. But they all
0: go Z. Oh, because it come off Sesame Street <laughs> or something, maybe? Maybe. I don't
1: know. Yeah,
0: maybe. Yeah. Mm. Oh, anyway, RZ9. So it says, um, set in the future... Um, technology's taken over, chap who works, oh, and there's lots of terrorism, right? And it's Mm. like a kind of escape from New York type future where there's like... I'm interested now. Well, you might not be in a few (laughs) seconds. (laughs) So it says this guy who works in this um, military organisation who are there to um, watch out for the terrorists and take the terrorists out, right? And he... One of his jobs is to do a sweep of all the names of people who've been flagged up as potential terrorists, and his own name comes up on this list. So what he does is he shuts the operation down and gets the hell out of the building before anybody realises And then the rest of the film is he's on the run and they're coming after him. And I thought, yeah, that sounds great. My mm, know a...
1: report Luper No, 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 <laughs> shush, shush, shush.
0: I thought that sounds great. Even if it's some dirt cheapo, cheapo flick, which obviously it is. I thought it still sounds great. It'll be fun, right? It's only when I put the disc in the player that I realised the reason he's been flagged up is because he's a God squatter. It's a Christian film. <laughs> Listener, if you could see Lee's face... He can't contain himself. Can I come out and watch you watching another last half? <laughs> I gotta tell you, the dialogue is exceptionally I've clunky. Have this
1: to you. <laughs> I've oh got to get to the end of it. Yet yeah? oh I've got God. to. It's the music by Striper, that rock band from the eighties. Oh yes, Striper. Lie me, yeah.
0: I tell you what, every other line is, you know, it's like a. Uh, Oh, I haven't seen my parents since we were kids and they died and they were taken away from us last time I saw it was dropping me off at Milford church camp <laughs> it's just filled with lines like that I don't think about 30 seconds go by without somebody mentioning church
1: set in the future
0: though <laughs> set in the future <laughs> special effects are interesting <laughs> full review next week
1: you are there, Simon.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that I have anything against people who go to church or people who have religious <sighs> beliefs. I should point out. No, no. But when anybody, but, the, buttons, but
1: there he is is attached cl- to really clunky. That's it. Drama and that's the music. It. That's what I'm, and laughing. Laughing. I'm the music. laughing all about the the fact that you're sitting there having to sit yourself through this clunky waste of time film. There's a. That's banging on. You can do it every three it's,
0: seconds. You can do it. And you can do it in a way where you sort of get it in under the radar.
2: Yeah. At the very start of the film,
0: one of the things, this guy is working in this place and the guy who's in charge of it says to him, he comes in late. And the guy who's in charge of it says, look, you've come in late. This is a military organisation. You can't afford to do that. I give you Sundays off to go to church. Well, you're (laughs) laughing now because of what I've just said. But But actually, (laughs) yeah.
1: Why but, you put it in the film?
0: No, but that line by itself, if that line was all there is in the film, right? Do you see what I mean? It would work. You'd get it in under the radar. It wouldn't be so in your face. But the fact that then every 30 seconds afterwards, somebody has to mention church. Okay. <clears throat> anyway,
1: that's awful.
0: <laughs> it would be like doing a version of When Harry Met Sally. And, you know, Harry's a Mormon and every 30 seconds he feels the need to mention the word Mormon. Anyway, let's talk Doctor Who. Uh, Yeah,
1: There's ways of writing in, weaving in the Christian message without... smacking you in the face with it, literally. Well, look at
0: Twilight. I mean, for all Twilight's faults, Mm. they're not smacking you in the face with the fact that it's a Christian message. No. I mean, the message is smacking you in the face, but the fact that it's a Christian message is... It's not hitting you with the word church every 30 And seconds. actually, that's,
1: yeah, and that's not the problem with the films, is it? Or the, the well, the, no, the problems with the films is that they're just rubbish.
0: No, the problem with the films, actually, the Twilight films, the problem with those is that they take that Christian message and try and dress it up in cool terms, mm. but actually it is just as reactionary as if it had been written 2,000 years ago. They're extremely reactionary films, and books, I should say the Twilight books. Mm. Very reactionary, but because it's dressed up in werewolves and vampires.
1: There was one particular scene where the woods looked brilliant. But that's about it, I think. Yeah. That's all we had to say on the film. And the trouble with
0: that particular scene is, even though there's only three lines of dialogue in it, it went on for four and a half minutes because those films are just so slow. I love the
1: bit where they're climbing the trees. That's hilarious.
0: And they just keep really climbing fun. and climbing uh, oh, and climbing. Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: just silly. And really, it's nearly as bad as that—that um, that, the dinosaur stampede in King Kong. Yeah, <laughs> that's just over the top. You but could you edit know, those two together, and they No, of... you
0: should edit it Twilight and uh, <laughs> Middle Lord of the Rings film together, and have them climb in the trees, and then the trees get up and walk it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: But the way they climb those trees, I've been to Canada, right, and they they do they have a massive sport out there where you can climb trees, cut trees down, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Literally, it is a big sport out there. And I've seen these guys climb trees quicker than those um, animals in <coughs> Twilight Squirrels! I, <laughs> I just had a brilliant idea. I've just had in my head a definition of hell, which would be watching Twilight with a commentary from Treebeard. <laughs> What's Treebeard. <laughs> Lee's having another attack. He's the tree character in the Lord of the Rings films. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. So you've got to make sure it's over-processed so we can actually hear what he's saying.
0: Mm. King Kong, though, that's a terrible movie. But I tell you what, some of those sequences... Andy Serkis is brilliant in it, isn't he? Has is, is he, he played King Kong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but Naomi no, Watts anyway, is dreadful. She yeah. is
1: terrible in that, yeah. Oh, you could definitely nip a good 45 minutes to an hour out of the film. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, but then you've got things like the insect attack, which goes on for about 20 minutes. can't remember that one. That's after the dinosaurs. All right.
1: I think I'd given up by that point.
0: Oh, it's worth watching for that. Jack Black was
1: good in it, though. No. No, Jack Black Black being Jack Black. He wasn't. I thought Jack Black was just being what he was asked to do. He just did the job and walked away with the money in his pocket, I expect. He was all right. It's fine. Yeah,
0: he was rubbish. Was he? And no, what's his face was in it? Who just won the Naturally Oscar for the better. pianist? Mm.
1: Oh yeah, Broderick. Pardon? Was it Broderick? What Adrian?
0: Adrian Brody. Yeah. Brody. Mm. Not Broderick. Yeah. I mean, he's a great actor, but Good he's profile. all at sea in King Kong. Mm. They good <laughs> And some of the effects in that film were just ludicrously bad. Yeah, that's what I say about the dinosaur stampede. That's the worst. That's I like, know oh the, like to... the bit where they get washed up. The bit where they are washed up on the rocks. Mm. Mm. Oh, that is just shocking. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like oh my god, if you. As soon as you saw the rushes coming in, and you could see it was so bad, just edit that sequence down. <laughs> and don't waste the money on the effects you're not going to use. I'm very much a personality person. And
1: I get I get certain feelings about, and I love Peter Jackson. I love him as a person. I like I like a lot of lot of his work because I really? can kind of yeah. I know you mm-hmm. don't, but because I can kind of get the character coming through it and the humour coming through. But yeah, no King Kong bloody
0: shocking. <clears throat> I love the frighteners. I love that. <clears throat> the frighteners is great film. Brilliant film. Anyways. Uh, I didn't particularly... I thought The was better, but I didn't think it was particularly good. Yeah, but it's another 8 out of 10 film. Isn't it? It's not perfect. But It's
1: just one of those films I'm happy I exists. Just one exists. It's just one of those surprise films where you put it on. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. You think, yeah. oh, going to be all right. And then by the end of it, it's like, actually, that was pretty good. Mm. And the humour in it, and Michael J. Fox is pretty good. I like Michael J. Fox. <clears clears throat> and I think the CGI was pretty good in it. There was some pioneering moments of the way that they used it or something I can't remember but it, it looked great <coughs> it Heavenly Creatures was the one with Kate Winslet was that was Heavenly Creatures
0: no yeah Heavenly Creatures yeah, yeah. I like that as well that wasn't Peter Jackson that was it yeah. yeah that, that was his, that was his film yeah yeah, of course. Him, yeah that was after Brain Dead wasn't <laughs> <laughs> it unbelievably <laughs> 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 there's a film right right he okay. walks into it's the pitching on. meeting he says right what films have you done Brain Dead and what was the other one because Uh, first taste. Bad taste. I've done brain dead and I've done bad taste. And what do you want to do next? Heavenly creatures. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's your money.
1: Raise the money from sponsorship, I expect.
0: They probably just shoved money in his hand and told him to go away and not bother them again.
1: Was he the only person making films in New Zealand at that point in time that were kind of getting shown and looked at and liked and laughed at and stuff like that? I don't think there was a massive industry out there, was there? No idea. He's the man who bought the industry there, I think. Mm. There may be a New Zealand listener right now saying that's wrongly.
0: Well, old... What was his name? Was from New Zealand. The guy who did... What was the... Did Mulholland Falls... Not Mulholland Drive, Mulholland Falls. Oh. Lee Tamahori. Mm. Did a... Did he do a Bond? I have a feeling he did a Bond. One of the um, Pierce Brosnan Bonds. All right. (laughs) <laughs> and he well, not the last one, please.
1: Tomorrow, tomorrow Never Dies with a C3 car. No, yeah. no, no. Is that didn't. the one where he hand glides off a wave? Probably. Off, off a. I really tsunami. enjoyed
0: that. <laughs> I have a feeling it may have been the one before <laughs> that. Did. Although it could have been that. <laughs> I he love was stupid stuff. He's from New Zealand, but I think he did like two small indie films in New Zealand and then went over to America mm. Mm. and did Mulholland Falls, which was an excellent film. And which, when it was issued in DVD, it was only in 4x3. It was awful. Because it was a proper widescreen 2.35 yeah. movie. And it was just so my so god Oh, no. There we go with names again.
1: Who
0: I think John Malkovich was in it. I could be wrong.
1: Are you at Mulholland Drive?
0: You about? No, no, Mulholland Falls. Falls. Oh, is that a different film? Oh, you're talking about the David Lynch film. That's why. Oh right. Okay. That's why I was trying to specify that it wasn't the David Lynch mm. film. It had Jennifer Connelly in it as the femme fatale. Mm. No, it wasn't John Malkovich. It was. Oh God,
1: Ed Harris. No, I can't think. Ed Harris, the guy Harris. out of uh, Shawshank Redemption. Which one? The main guy.
0: Tim he's Robbins. Sure. Yes. No.
1: Is that Mulholland Drive then?
0: No, he's not in anything Mulholland. <laughs> not
1: <Isn't> he? <laughs> Okay. I don't think
0: so. No, Mulholland Falls is a film noir type thing. Mm. Jennifer mm. Connelly plays a <clears> femme <throat> fatale, and it's got a twisty-turny detective storyline type thing.
1: So but, I've been JR, I've been Lee and I've been Simon. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Next week we'll talk about Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, maybe.
0: <laughs> but before we talk about Tooth and Claw, I was going to say on the subject of Doctor Who, I bought this about <laughs> God, two years ago now. And I've only just got round to listening to it. The 4 CD 50th Anniversary Doctor Who The Music Collection. Yes, I've also got the 11 disc version, but I couldn't face that. So I tried. To, I decided, okay, I'll do the 4 disc version and sort of ease myself in gently. Because, uh, yeah, I well, know we'll go into this in future. My suggestion is because the Series 8 music is about to come out, so we could time it to go into concert with that mm-hmm. and have a podcast about the music in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So if you two can get hold of copies or borrow mine or whatever of probably the four-disc collection, and we'll just do a sort of general overview of how music has changed and how music has been used mm-hmm. in Doctor Who. And I'm going the to see years. the
1: symphony live, the symphonic <coughs> Doctor Who up in Cardiff at the end of May. Wire? Yeah, with Finn, so that'd be quite fun. In fact, well, we can use this mean. as
0: a preview for that. Yeah. <clears throat> right, let's talk Tooth and Claw then, because we're only just shy of half an hour in. <laughs> okay, Tooth and Claw. How yeah. long? Uh, we did this last time and the time before. I think. How long is it since you've seen it? yeah,
1: year. Bad year. I last so you time.
0: watched it quite recently.
1: Yeah, we watch them. We tend to watch the Tenants over and over again, maybe yeah i suppose that
0: explains why even though i've not seen it for about five years you two talked all over it right
1: that's probably one. well i've not seen it in was, a few years I'm,
0: yeah, just, I'm there trying to watch it and you two are just nattering away it was <laughs> you did giggle a few times <laughs> you didn't just giggle you were having freaking conversations <laughs> <laughs> i will
1: say though i picked up on the dialogue more than i ever had before <clears throat> how good the dialogue was the humor particularly was delivered brilliantly
0: some of the dialogue was a little bit clunky there were a few bits where people were saying things because it was one of those scripts where every now and again there'd be a line where you think right that looked great on paper it was one of those uh you know superhero moments where somebody comes out with a is he a bird is he a plane no he's superman you know, you can write that, and it looks funny as hell, and people will quote it endlessly. But actually, getting somebody to pretend to be a real person and say that line of dialogue right mm-hmm. in the twenty first century—there are a few moments like that near but the they end, were...
1: especially. We noticed, didn't we? There was a few yeah. sort of clunky dialogue at the end.
0: The Torchwood,
1: so yes, the soliloquy that was... at the end was like what?
0: Uh, I think that was a clunky idea rather than clunky dialogue. Actually, it was we'll bookended by clunky
1: it. because that scene right at the start of the. Uh... Ninja yeah. Monks was... Yeah, it wasn't as
0: good as I remember it.
1: No, and it was one of those set pieces, wasn't it? It was one of those... RTD sort of said, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Yeah. It, was, it was It was designed to look good have on, either on of a you BBC was, TV trailer. Have,
0: yeah. have either of you ever seen a film called Brotherhood of the Wolf? Yes. Right, that came out about two years before Doctor Who came back, if mm. I remember rightly, about 2003. Have you seen it, Simon? No. Okay, the <clears throat> it's a French film. And I don't think there was an English language dubbed... No, there was, actually. There was a version dubbed into English on the disc, I'm sure. Was of it Yeah, I think I so. know what,
1: yeah. I watched it in French, so. though. Subtitled, yeah.
0: Yeah. But basically, the plot of it is: it is set... Well, it's set in France, but it's set during the Victorian era. And it's about a plot to depose... No, maybe it wasn't set during the Victorian era. It must have been set a long time before. It was about a plot to depose. It must have been set in the 16th century or something. Yeah. Plot to depose the monarch by uh, using a werewolf. And the people who were looking after the werewolf were country monks.
1: Yeah. It was an utter lift from that film. But there's also also, um, a few years beforehand, BBV, or Bill Bags, I think, did all the adventures in Time and Space called Zygon, is it just called Zygon? Can't remember now. No, oh no, Barnacle it? Baby it was called mm. and it was that was one of the best ones of the range. I really enjoyed it where the Zygon lands in Victorian England damaged and he's like a circus freak and then he gets to meet a few people kind of makes friends and it's kind of like devious way um, and then ends up plotting to... No, he actually becomes Queen Victoria at the end of it. No, really? <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well there's that and then there's Brotherhood of the Wolf and it's the two... set on the, the throne going... Suckers, <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm, sweet. I'm, I'm, I think I'd probably just spoil that for you, but it is worth a listen. Barnacle Baby, I thought was really good actually. But
0: um isn't it also a song? Barnacle, barnacle a song. Baby. I don't know how's it go. Based <laughs> by the peels isn't it? The Barnacle. Uh, the well, you know about bungalow, bungalow, bungalow yes, baby. I am barnacle making baby. a joke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Bungalow
0: Bill. Yeah, I don't know why, but Barnacle Baby, Bungalow Bill, just (laughs) always makes me. Or
1: in the bubble, Paul Simon.
0: (laughs) Okay, the first. Well, all right. Did we enjoy it? Yes, I did.
1: I did actually. Yeah, it was better than I remember. And actually, looking at the um, preview for um,
0: school reunion, school reunion, that looked worse. That looked worse. Yeah, because of the pictures. Because that was back into hideous soft focus. (laughs) Which especially doesn't look terribly good, sort of upgraded into HD. Mm -hmm. When I sat down to watch it, I was thinking, I've not seen this for years, but I've always really enjoyed this episode. Is it going to disappoint me? And I've got to say, apart from a few clunky Mm -hmm. moments, I enjoyed it immensely.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Apart from bits we talked through. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: It was, it was well-paced, wasn't it? It was well-edited. The music well was right. It was, yeah. you know, we had, like, apart from the monkey monks at the beginning, like you say, Simon, totally agree. I remember at the time looking at this thinking, this is kind of cool. I had a bit of a tingle in my spine thinking, oh, Doctor Who's cool. Doctor then, Who's doing the main tricks. Yeah, exactly. Oh, this is cool. And then about halfway through that scene, I thought, why are they being all special about this? Why are they throwing themselves in the air and... You know, because these are are local people. Just poke them in the face and they fall over. You don't need to be throwing yourselves around and going... It's essentially an advert for Doctor Who, wasn't it? It was, yeah.
0: What was weird about that was you're watching that whole sequence and these monks are throwing themselves all over the place and everybody else is just watching them. Yes. And you're thinking... Exactly,
1: they're just standing where they are. Yeah, it's okay. If if the guys put up a bit of resistance, if they were like bare-knuckle
0: fighters down the local village
1: that would look a or, bit even better, if,
0: it? or even if okay you've got to do kung fu on him do kung fu on him stop doing the freaking dancing yeah do don't do the dancing do the kung fu just yeah. run up to him and do a spock on the yeah neck. just just disable
1: these people and just yeah really quick and, and neat yeah. No no somersaults so i think that was that was quite weak that opening in fact i remember having to, I, I remember telling a very good friend of mine you should watch doctor who she doesn't watch a lot of TV, so I said, "Watch Doctor Who, it's great." Went, why do you see? Why do you like Doctor Who? What do you see in it? I said, Just watch this; you'll love this one. It's brilliant. Queen Victoria, Wales. Oh, you know, you'll love it. It's great. So she sat there and watched. It and went, "I can't believe this is your flagship TV on BBC. It's terrible." What was this? Tooth and, <laughs> Tooth and Claw? <laughs> Claw. Yeah, and she actually, you know, mentioned that opening scene that spoiled it for more than. More and than then
0: what happens? She next? quite enjoyed
1: the acting and the comedy and stuff bit, and
0: yeah, it, 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 was it odd. Completely. But then what happens immediately after the titles is you come into the TARDIS and there's David Tennant doing this whole shtick about Ian Jury Mm -hmm. to a girl who's supposed to be 19 in 2005, who's presumably been listening to the equivalent of Heart FM her entire life and who presumably would never even have heard of Ian Jury, let alone connected him with his one hit that was recorded 10 years before she was born. It would have been nice if he was educating her in it. He wasn't though, was he? That's no, the point. No, yeah.
1: Do you know what I reckon? Pete, I reckon her dad was an Injury fan. He looks like a bit of a yeah, a bit of an Jury fan. So you never know. You know They've <coughs> been that kind or of. of have thing. said oh, my dad used to listen to this. Have yeah, a exactly. feeling that There's that, that scene
0: was originally written with Abba, and they changed it to Ian Jury to try and make it cooler or whatever. Oh really? Yeah, I, I wondered think... who the writer was a fan, and they just sort of. Well, T. Davis. Yeah, no, I think he originally wrote it with. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I may well be mistaken, but I think he originally wrote it, let's go and see Abba in like... I kind of... Uh,
1: 1979. Like, no. That would have been when he, was, when he was smacking the control panel and it was saying, hit me, hit me, and I was thinking... A little bit cringy. Yeah. And that would cringy. have
0: fit in with the werewolf theme as well because the song they would have been playing would be like a pooper scooper... <laughs> oh, Gordon <laughs> Bennett. Beams are gonna find me. There you go, there you go
1: hey that's a good yeah Who's are gonna find me yeah actually they could have made it more relevant you're right <clears throat> oh werewolf in london <laughs>
0: this is speaking of which though because all right we're not going to talk about this consecutively but this is one of the few rusty davis scripts that's actually got a proper ending that's seeded throughout the story <laughs> rather than being a technically a deus ex machina and mm. i think that well, stands very much in this story's favour
1: I don't think I not think it felt like an
0: RTD story at all.
1: It hadn't I kept I wrapped my brains all the way through trying to think who the writer was.
0: Well, this is one of those things, it's like um like midnight. It's like when Russell T. Davis doesn't have uh, plot mechanics, arc mechanics to seed into his story and can just sit down, especially if it's late in the day when he's because this is what the runaway bride was gonna be. Mm. The Runaway Bride was originally in this slot in the series. It was going to be later in the series. They bumped it up to the front. But it was going to be in series two, The Runaway Bride. And then they made Runaway Bride the Christmas special. So he had to come up with something else to go in that slot. And, you know, with time running short, he wrote Tooth and Claw. (laughs) And like Midnight, it has nothing to do with anything that's going on around it. Okay, he puts in the tortured stuff, right? Which I think we all thought was pretty disastrous. But the story itself didn't have anything to do with what was going on around it and it just works really well.
1: It was a fun run around, wasn't it? But they, there was this moment where he runs about grabbing his hair saying, Hang on, this is all uh, you know, this is all fitting together, this is all supposed to happen because there are all these disparate kind of elements that you know, the, the 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 stone and the monks and the wolf and Queen Victoria turn up at the same time and the telescope and all these things and I was thinking, yeah, this is ridiculously coincidental. And of course, then he goes and says, what well, it's supposed to be. Uh, yeah. Trump's me today, uh, at the end, which I'd forgotten about. So it started to annoy me, and then he actually said it, and I thought, ah, yeah, that was quite clever, actually. One thing I had remembered was the little thing about Rose trying to get her to say, <laughs> I'm not amused, actually. I thought that worked really well.
0: I thought it it worked very... okay in this. Mm. What what happens later is when they start do. well, he'd already started it with the Dickens one, but, by the time you get to Unicorn and the Wasp and they're shoehorning book titles in Shakespeare Code was just as bad. This was kind of a version of that. The mm. shoehorning, because it's Queen Victoria rather than somebody who writes. So you can't put in book titles, but instead you put in her famous quote. Mm.
1: But it was it was well acted as well because, yeah. you know, um, Billy Piper delivers her line. I think Billy Piper's brilliant anyway, but I thought she delivered a lines excellent in this
0: um, episode, Rose was very unlikable in this episode, mm. and I think that's kind is, of the point. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. going to say, and that is a good performance yeah. by Billy Biber a because good reactions from Pauline Collins. Yeah. Collins. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. She was just a wall, wasn't she? Having none of it. Mm. Fantastic.
0: And then the bit at the end where she says, and no, I am not amused." There's mm. genuine emotion going on there, mm. Mm. and that really made it worth having all those other examples of them um, sherryhorning that line in and getting rose to try and get her to say it because the payoff for it it's like i always say you know if you've set something up you've got to pay it off and if you're going to pay something off you've got to have set it up first mm. and so unlike in say unicorn and the wasp and the shakespeare code where they're just throwing in story tiles for the sheer fun of it here there's a payoff to all those examples of rose tyler trying to get queen victoria to say this line mm. Because I don't think that I don't think that last scene where she banishes from from the kingdom would have worked nearly so well if it hadn't started with the and now I'm not amused mm. because that's what gave that speech a bit of personality, a bit of realism, a mm. bit of human
1: and even with their kind of slightly fluffy messing around, <clears throat> you've got this really strong cast just acting. Their socks off. I remember thinking that the first time I saw it. I just yeah. thought this... just
0: like a BBC drama this, with Doctor in it. Yeah,
1: still playing it straight. Yeah. I mean, really strong performances. Paul and Collins and... The Derek
0: Riddell. Is yes. that the main guy? Yeah, was yeah. Mm. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, really great. They all were, weren't they? They were all properly scared. You know, you believe that they were petrified. What was
0: great about him is that the thing that he'd been most known for prior was No Angels, which was the Toby Whithouse series set in the hospital. Mm. And he played a real uh, sleazeball in that. So to see him in Tooth and yes, Claw doing right. something completely now. different, yeah. was amazing.
1: Yeah, there was the, the, I one there was the girl in the wardrobe, um, Flora. Yeah I, wasn't, yeah, I wasn't into Flora.
0: For once, for once, it's not Lee that's caused a stunned <laughs> silence in the podcast. <clears throat> Uh, nice Direction, Eros <laughs> Very good.
1: great, it was great I He's, loved his direction
0: in this I, uh, well, uh, During the Russell T Davis years I always look forward to the Eros ones Because as I've said so many times Direction's got to be about the actors As much as it has everything else And Eros Lynn's not just got an eye For making the story work on it physical mechanical level but he's also great with the actors
1: there's different tones and there's different shifts in gear um i noticed that you know with the action scenes and then uh there's the bit where they're all sitting around the table yeah Yeah, sitting around the table is a completely different tone and then Mm. all of a sudden
0: it stepped up and so he just applies he does what douglas mckinnon does that i really like is that he paces it really really well Mm. and that it's not because some people will some people will pace the slow stuff too fast or the fast stuff too slow, or some people will jump from one thing to another. But with the really good directors, even if you have to go from a slow scene into a fast scene, they'll give you a moment where you can jump with it Mm. rather than it being, rather than it being something that hits you over the head. They'll give you something that pulls you along mm. with the change in the pace. And I, when we were sitting there, I pointed it out, that ju- just that little jump cut on David Tennant mm. when he's doing the speech when things are about to kick up a gear. Mm. And I said there, and I didn't say it at the time, but I'm saying it now, the reason why he did that was because things were about to kick in. Mm. And just by doing that little jump cut yeah, of David you... Tennant as he's giving that speech, mm. all of a sudden, you as the viewer... You're subconsciously, you don't even notice it, but no. subconsciously you jump into you the do. change of pace. You get a little mudge in the back,
1: don't you? That, yeah. Oh, hang on! Yeah, and yeah. we had to go back and look at that to see it.
0: Yeah, I just you pointed it pointed out. It. Yeah, but that was the
1: difference between a good jump cut and a, you know, the, and the bad one we saw the other week in the Unicorn and the Wasp, where it was just ridiculous, mm. and I can't ever watch that scene again now. It's just <laughs> totally ruined. It. But this one was fantastic. It was almost invisible, and the the thing about the action. Uh, you have creatures running down corridors. We get the Krillatane doing it. Uh, we get the Lazarus experiment doing it. And they all run down corridors, these CGI creatures, you know, clambering across the walls and things. The werewolf just seemed realistic, even though it was a complete CGI creation. The way it moved down those corridors. The sound the design it, was very good The sound well. design, yeah. But yeah. also the, the camera work, the way it moved. It had the oblique angles that Graham Harper's always done, trying to use. But they weren't obvious. They were
0: done... Slight, subtle. Yeah, it was subtle.
1: And the POV, the kind of point of view stuff on the web was excellent. There's
0: a lot of stuff in... I didn't even notice this before. I was noticing this now. But there's a lot of stuff in that episode where the camera's just slightly higher. Mm. There's a scene where Rose has just met Flora. And they come out of the room. And into the corridor. Mm. And Rose thinks she's taking Flora to safety. But as they come out through the door, the camera's just slightly higher mm. than they are. So it's looking down on them. So what it's doing is diminishing them in the mm. picture. Yeah. And you just, as a viewer, get a sense that her Rosa's plan has gone awry before they've even yeah, opened yeah, the door. Yeah, they're in a
1: situation. They're, um, they're prone. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Prone, that's exactly the word. But yeah. you don't
1: know what they're prone to, because it could have been the werewolf, couldn't it? Because it's a a tall thing. I oh, know it wasn't, a at it wasn't point. around at that point. No. No. Is it priming? You no, know? this
0: was the point at which the monks were drugging the Oh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And then later on, the scenes where they're climbing the stairs, or when they're just about to climb the stairs, he's using very low angles on the stairs to show movement because this is one of the big things Russell T. Davis did. He would, instead of putting the camera at such a height where they'd come past it with their head in line with the camera... He was using stuff like putting it there so their feet would come past in time with the camera, which gives you an impression of more movement than it would have done if the camera had been further up. Mm-hmm. Because if the head comes past, that's just one thing. But if the foot comes past, that's two things passing together. Sort of. So for every person who runs past the camera, you've got two focal points, which just gives just gives the shot a sense of more briskness. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: He was using all sorts of stuff like that, and he was getting these performances out of Pauline Collins and Derek Riddell and people like that. And the thing you really look out for, the thing that differentiates between a good director of actors and a sort of moderate or mediocre director of actors, you're not going to get poor directors of actors working in professional television because they wouldn't get the jobs. But the difference between one who's great and one who's not so good... It's not the performances from the leads and from the guest stars. It's from the extras and mm. the characters who've just got a line here or a couple of lines mm. there. And they were all exceptional in this. Mm.
1: They were. Like I said, they all looked really probably scared.
0: Yeah. And
1: really good there wasn't, shots.
0: there wasn't a single performance from anybody where you thought, oh, that's an actor in a costume. No. It was yeah, everybody involved in that production was... Properly involved in that production.
1: There are quite a few. I mean, you get this in everything, right? Where and it can get annoying if it's too long. It's that it's the scenes where you have uh, the protagonist against the monster, and they're looking at each other. And sometimes it's just a bit too long. You think, well, by that point, the monster would have completely taken him out. Mm. Why are you standing there? Or why are you saying something to the monster, yeah, or yeah. whatever? You know, why are you, you get taking... the hot four moment? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why are you yeah. talking to the bloke next to you when this thing's standing there? just waiting to kill you what what's going on Mm. the dialogue in this you didn't have that you had it was just about right you had David Tennant facing uh the werewolf twice in fact where he goes you're beautiful and the lovely moment where it throws the cage in which snaps him out of it and he runs out
0: Mm. yeah if he hadn't done that that would have been ridiculous but Mm. because he had that it was fine
1: yeah exactly and the same in the corridor but it was just about right You also had rose and you had a lot of people squaring off to him some of them lost their lives but you're right, I think the pacing through those action shots are just about right.
0: There was one scene, I was going to point this out to you, but in the end I didn't, because I didn't want to interrupt the flow, where it's all kicking off, and the women are in the kitchen, they've just realised that the um, mistletoe is having an effect on the wolf, so they're gathering the mistletoe together. There's one scene where there's just two lines of dialogue between, I can't remember the character's names. Derek Riddell's wife, Isabel, no, I can't remember. Mm. And Flora, the the serving girl who'd been in the mm. wardrobe. And it's the two of them standing at a sink with the mistletoe. Mm. Any other director might have just put the camera by the sink and just had the conversation, the two of them standing at the sink. But this scene takes place after the werewolves in the house. Everything's kicked off. So even though this is a 20-second scene with just two lines of dialogue in it, Eros Lynn can't afford to lose the pace. So what he does is he has the camera, and this is all over and done with in 15 or 20 seconds. He has the camera on one of the two characters coming into the room and then suddenly pulls focus because it's the other character who speaks first, which has already given the viewer a jump that, Mm. you know, keeps Mm. the pace up. Camera pulls to this one before then pulling back to the character who the camera followed into the room And then that character turns and walks out and the camera focus pulls back to the initial character Mm. and then cuts away to the next scene. Mm. So in that 15 or 20 second scene, which could have been just a camera Mm. absolutely stock still at a Mm. sink with two characters exchanging two lines of dialogue, you got one, two, three, four jumps in that scene with just one single camera pulling focus between two characters. And you
1: see that quite a lot through the whole episode in different places. I mean, there are a few grumbles. We've been quite positive about this, are not we? But there's mm. a few grumbles. We had the monkey monkey scene at the beginning there. Yeah. But there's also that um, moment when he realises, the Doctor realises what the stone's for. He realises the whole plan. Yeah. You know, and he tells us exactly that plan. And we've still got a good five to ten minutes left. So you're thinking, well, what's going to happen now? Then we now know all he's going to do is destroy <clears throat> the werewolf with the giant telescope. He doesn't
0: actually say that,
1: though
2: doesn't
0: No because what he does is he says oh I realise what he's done and because we've seen that episode so many times we don't even need to put two and two together yeah, to maybe. make four. He doesn't actually say what the plan is he just says oh I see that he's used this mm-hmm. and this and mm-hmm. this to create a plan I mean once yeah, you've seen the no, episode yeah, okay. it's absolutely obvious but for people watching it the first time that's the point at which the sort of slightly cleverer ones or the slightly older ones maybe, or put two and two together and say, of course. Mm. Which is a great moment when you're watching something, even if it's not especially clever, to be able to put two and two together and say, oh, of course, five minutes before the end is a great moment. And if you're, I don't know, not watching so closely, or a little kid or whatever, then you don't put two and two together to get four, but five minutes later when that happens, you say, oh, right, that's what he was talking about.
1: And the other thing is, um, and I'm sure you will disagree with me, is when they actually get the moonlight coming through the telescope, you get this little magical thing this little magical shimmer coming through the telescope and then it lifts the werewolf up into the sky and his arms are spread out like jesus like jesus again you know we're yeah, yeah, get, yeah. we get this uh, quite a lot with, with doctor Who.
0: with russell t Davis. russell t Davis especially yeah, yeah. Um,
1: but it's just the you know the lifting up okay maybe the moonlight does do this to the lupine waveform it manages to raise it's it up it defies gravity it's just a bit magical isn't it? and it's a shame it's television it is. It's dramatic. It's
0: you know. yeah. It's dramatic license in order to give you a visual yeah. that matches what's happening in the time. script. It's got to be
1: pinned. The, the creature's got to be pinned, otherwise it'd just move out of the way. of The beam, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm. No. I like the you know pinned against walls and stuff. But uh, yeah, you're right. And then the kind of like increase it so I can disappear into a whole bunch of atoms is a little bit kind of. No, that allows puzzle. the the boy to come back and say, "Release me," and then that's that a bit of sense. pathos for the character. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it'd be nice if you <clears> dropped to the floor though. You just had this crumpled body.
0: Well, really didn't work. Return <laughs> to a little boy. <laughs> well, they do that in other things. And yeah, I think in Doctor Who that might have been a bit. Well, they weren't. Absolutely. They weren't very scary brave. As it was. They weren't very brave at that point in Doctor Who. They were brave over certain things, the uh, werewolf I'd, and the the wealth yeah, transformation manifestation yeah. change. The metamorphosis, not manifestation. That's pretty scary, but they aren't very brave about sort of more psychological things. When I say psychological things, like in the third series, they're brave enough to do human nature with a black girl as the doctor's assistant and she has to be the, you know, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like serving wench or whatever Mm -hmm. in the school. They're brave enough to, start addressing things like race. Mm. But in series two, mm. they don't even put Mickey in the Idiot's Lantern because they're too scared to put a black guy in 1950s Britain. Yeah, that's a shame. That would have been good,
1: wouldn't
0: it? It would have been interesting, but I mean... And it's not necessarily a case what of chickening good, out. Actually? It's not necessarily <laughs> it a case good, of chickening yeah. out of doing these things, but it's a case of, by the third series, they're thinking, all right, you know what would be a good idea? If they'd have done Idiot's Lantern in the third series, they'd have said... Oh, do you know what would be a good idea if we put the black guy into 1950s Britain and see what effect that has on the story but in series 2 they haven't got to the level where they've started thinking about that kind of stuff yet mm-hmm. so something like having the little boy at the end of the story who dies on screen having been the werewolf is probably not even something they thought about at that point mm-hmm. whereas a couple of years later they might have they said might have done it. oh yeah we could do that yeah But then we move on to the scene at the end where Queen Victoria invents Torchwood. And we said, I said at the end as we were watching it, I said, yeah, okay, fair enough. This, If you want to show where Torchwood came from in the first place, right, fair enough. But the way that scene works, Mm. the way that scene is set up is that there's going to be a payoff for the Doctor and Rose through Torchwood through Torchwood hunting down the Doctor and Rose. Mm-hmm. And there should have been a story in which Doctor and Rose are the targets for Torchwood. And in what? spite of mm-hmm. Army of Ghosts, that's not what happens. Torchwood aren't looking for the Doctor and Rose in Army of Ghosts. No. They just happen to be on there if they should turn up.
1: And that—that—I mean that's a great idea from Russell T. I I love the idea of Torchwood anyway. It's a really brilliant idea to stick in in Victorian times have the Doctor kind of like, you know, being looked at from Earth's... Kind then
0: we of, need to see Victorian Torchwood. Well,
1: then we need to see John Pertwee being incarcerated at some point. No, <laughs> no, no. Like, no, oh, no. You on. can't wreck Conley. <laughs> of course he can.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, by that token, you should have had stories where, you know, the second Doctor, when he lands in all these near-future installations like the Tenth Planet, where were you, Nick?
1: I have always thought it was an odd thing for Torchwood and UNIT to run alongside each other. Anyway, I know, it was yeah, a, it is a strange I thing. Always isn't I always felt it was a little bit kind of. But you know, it's you, you, yeah, no. Well, UNIT are the kind of like the, they're the fringe of the army, aren't they? Mm. But they're kind of like the good fringe. It's like the Edinburgh fringe. You're the Edinburgh fringe. They're the fringe, fringe
0: of the army, whereas Torchwood are the fringe of, of the. the fringe. Uh, no, Torchwood are the fringe of the um, espionage services. What's the word I'm looking for? Intelligence gathering services. Yeah, yeah. It's like
1: the Edinburgh French Festival, right? Has now become
0: so kind of MI5 Simon. Okay. FBI. Well, it would be. well World X- Z X- um, No, it's uh... I mean,
1: I'm thinking X Files, it's the obvious thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The British version of that would be MI five. Oh,
1: yeah. Or probe.
0: Anyway. <laughs> Hang on, if MI five is home intelligence gathering and MI6 is a broad intelligence gathering, then really towards MI7, right? Mm. <laughs> Skeksis <laughs> in the room. Reboot. Tooth and claw. Anything else? How did it look? The moorland scenes. I was just about to say. Yeah, the beautiful the outside filming and...
1: really made a difference to oh, it? the lovely. wind and everything. Yeah, yeah right. The wind. It's weird, the wind. Yeah,
0: just the, the fact the wind was there. Was <laughs> Actually <in>. that's <laughs> Eros Lynn did the second and third episode of the first series when it still had that sort of cartoony quality mm-hmm. I talked about when we were talking about Rose. And those scenes on the Moorland, more so I think, than New Earth, which phew, is exactly the same beats in the script as this one. It's like Tooth and Claw is almost a remake of New Earth but with a different plot. Starts with a ten minute scene outside, then you move into the building, the rest of it's all in the building, and even the way the plot works, the mechanics of the plot are almost the same, you know, with the introduction of the lifts that are going to cleanse everybody at the end of the story, it's, and then there's the even the up and down, instead of the stairs there's the lift shaft in New Earth, it's like, my God, Russell, couldn't you at least have put something else in between those two so it wasn't so obvious? <laughs> but anyway, the point I'm making is, if you look at the stuff on New New Earth when they're on the apple grass or whatever at the start mm. of there, then look at what Eros Lynn did with the Moorland in this, light years apart. It is.
1: It's just astonishingly beautiful to look at, beginning and end. It's great. Of, and actually, the house itself, you know, it's a fantastic location. I wonder where that is, but... Uh, yeah. Well, it's
0: Torchwood House, it's Colin, doesn't it? <laughs> but, like, Eros was doing the cartoony stuff at the start of Series 1, here at the start of Series 2, he's doing kind of canvas paintily mm. stuff, almost.
1: I like, the, I like the thing with the accent as well. That was a good bit of acting with Mr Tennant there.
0: Well, the I bit thought... where she says, even your voice has changed, what happened to the accent? Yeah, and actually,
1: but he's yeah. he's act obviously he's he got this... dropped out a couple of scenes beforehand. Mm, that's the point. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. yeah, so he had the mid counties accent, and then it was he's Scottish already, as we well know. So it's him pretending to be Scottish, even though he's Scottish, and you can just hear that he's changed his accent slightly. And I've been listening to an absolutely brilliant CD. I recommend it to you all. It's um, How to Train Your Dragon by uh, Christa Cowell, and he does all the readings for it and all the Vikings are Scottish right <laughs> and there's a million different characters in there and anybody who says David Tennant isn't a very good actor or whatever you've got to listen to these he's absolutely on the ball these characters just jump out from these CDs at you and I'm enjoying every single second of it 44 year old man this to a children's CD yeah, <laughs> it's not? just brilliant absolutely oh, brilliant. They're and they're great. very funny I as mean well. the films are just amazing very very funny Really good, friends. but uh, yeah, no, so you know, for him to be mm. doing that subtle Sc- Scottish, English, Scottish, English thing, uh, yeah.
0: he's very good in this. This is before the cockiness becomes outright arrogance. Mm.
1: That's the thing, yeah, you almost feel like it's it should have been nipped in the bud at the story. Yes.
0: That should have, oh, they should have. By the time we'll talk about gridlock in a few weeks when we watch gridlock, but gridlock is, as I remember it, a sign of you know, the rot setting in, really. Great story, but it's that scene at the end, the mm. Time Lord stuff with mm. Martha, and I think that's sign of the David Tennant Doctor, you know, bounding over that line into sentimentality and arrogance and all this kind of stuff. believing mm. his own legend. That's the point at which I'm so, so sorry has become a catchphrase and all this kind of thing. Mm. Whereas here, it's all fresh. Mm. It's like Friends. I think after 10 series of Friends, you could have... Uh, Lee's shaking his head, but <coughs> listen to him point.
1: I know, I know. Friends, after is, 10 Friends series, is amazing for people.
0: After 10 bear. series of Friends, you can pretty much... <laughs> you can pretty much predict what any of the characters' line is going to be in any one <laughs> scene, anywhere in an episode. Whereas if you watch the first series of Friends without having watched the rest of it, Actually, that first series is a really fresh comedy. And this is like really fresh Doctor Who. Mm. And by the time you get to Unicorn and the Wasp that we watched a couple of weeks ago, it, that one was slightly different, actually, because that was more overtly comedic. But by the time you get to that point in series four, and you've had things like Planet of the Oud, you know, it's hideously predictable. Do you know, it's interesting, because it's when you get...
1: Um... <laughs> when you get David Tennant come back into Day of the Doctor... He's uh, very much.
0: He's doing own. some of those things as shtick rather than yeah for real. Very
1: much to tone down. This is what I said. Tone might, down, we'll Doctor. To Do you remember? he appears older, yeah. and he appears a more mature version of yeah what we see yeah now. And it's he, almost like he feels he, you can see the actor mm. thinking, "This is Matt Smith's day, not mine. I need to." You know, he's he's just going through the motions at some point. You know, the same with the rabbit. It's a great line, you know. You're just a rabbit, aren't you? Brilliant. But it's doing actually, it as shtick yeah, rather than doing it for real. I think it's delivered in the way that maybe you might have delivered it brilliantly in the Tooth and Claw days.
0: Yeah. Badly in Voyage of the Damned. Because mm. that's... I love Voyage of the Damned, but that
1: bit's horrible. What, the 900-year time? Oh, ah, yeah. The bit for the rest of the world to see.
0: I can see why it's <laughs> okay. there. It's a I, I can see out. why it's there. And I think the David Tennant of Tooth and Claw would have delivered it yeah, much better than it is. I'd like to by do one the of these Voyage on *Voice the of
1: the Damned*, Dam, actually, because I haven't watched it properly since it was on. Well, maybe like we I'm will. Suitably unimpressed by that episode. Well, we'll
0: do that just before Christmas. Okay, <laughs> I can wait all that time. One the problem Kylie. I've always had with David Tennant is I think he's a very superficial actor. In that, when he's doing the when he's doing the light stuff, he's great. He's great at being the eccentric doctor. There's a moment actually in there where somebody says the word eccentric, and the way he smiles at the telescope, as if he's thinking of oh yeah, like Tom Baker was eccentric, is lovely. He's great at the light stuff. I've always had problems with him doing the serious stuff. Hence the I'm a Time Lord from the planet Gallifrey and the mm. Consul, and also Human Nature. I had massive problems with all that oh, over-emoting really? at the end. Adore that. Oh, that's a great no, no, story, no, but the, the, the ending over emoting at the end. You know the bit where he's standing,
1: he's standing at the door with his hands in his pockets, and there's a moment where you actually, as the as the watcher, don't like him. He's mm. the Doctor. Yeah, you just actually, slap him. you just want to slap him. I don't know whether that was on purpose or not, but you you miss the Mister Smith you've been watching for the last two episodes. Mm. No, no, but sure. I think
0: Mister Smith by the end is awful as well. When he's making the decision mm. whether to change or not, it's slight crocodile tears. I can't believe the character. Not really, yeah, I bought it completely. But but, but the so point I'm David coming David. to is, yeah. I've said all that, and I've always had this problem with David Tennant. Mm. And actually, I think in Broadchurch he's much better. His mm. that side of him, I think, is gone now. But the problem I have that with his doctor is this kind of superficiality. And there's that one line in this, and I pointed it out again as we were watching, when Derek Riddell's about to sacrifice himself. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing this really long speech, he basically just says, no, I'm going to stand here and give you the time. And David Tennant just, fraction of a second beat, and says, good man. Yeah. He doesn't overplay it. No. And that's brilliant. You also brilliant. said it
1: when, when um, he asked for the, uh, the the crystal, the diamond. Um, I can't remember what the line was now, but you said, yeah, that was delivered like straight and perfect. And yeah, powerful, yeah. Or best line or something, the best line delivered. Um, can't remember what it was now, but yeah, you're right. I think if he can, I mean, he does have a tendency to overplay, but at the same time, you know, that's kind of what was required of him. at the, the, the Absolutely. The, well, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Is, but that's mad, what I mean. It's like Matt Smith, yeah. mad and bonkers.
0: If you're overplaying stuff, I can't believe in you as a character because you're a character overplaying stuff. That's what I mean.
1: Yeah, but a lot of that was...
0: Uh, we, See, with Matt Smith... We also he, know that
1: he's he's messing around. He's also, you know, the thing with the injury... That's what I, I mean, can kind of yeah. forgive that because it's like he's just showing off. He's just I do, yeah. you probably never heard of the injury before. But well, like, this is what I
0: mean. When he's doing that side of the Doctor, I think it works really well. Because it is showing off and it is the character overplaying it rather than the actor overplaying the character. Mm. What I mean is by the time you get to human nature, it's the actor overplaying the character. Yeah. But I've noticed that there's other David Tennant stuff as well. If you look at Casanova, which is the last thing he did before he did this, I think. If you look at Casanova, David Tennant gets to do all the, you know... uh whip-cracking, humorous, running dandy around town stuff. And Peter O'Toole gets to do the pathos. Mm. And that's why Casanova works so well, because David Tennant's not called upon to do the pathos. And Peter O'Toole's not called upon to go jumping out of young girls' bedroom windows. (laughs) And that's why that works. But then you give David Tennant both those jobs in Doctor Who. and I mean, he's great in that beach scene at the end of a doomsday, because he doesn't overplay it. When David Tennant's not overplaying stuff, he's much better than when he is. Mm -hmm. But he just, there's just so much overplaying. You're right, I mean, it it is
1: the lines, it's the Time Lord Victorious lines and stuff like that, that that they they do me in a bit, but then maybe just the dialogue. Like you say, you write the stuff and you think, oh, this is great, it's going to be heavy, powerful stuff. Let's give it to Martha to say. It's like, you know what? I'll tell you what, we're going to make this this woman a, you know, a a gun toting, uh, uniformed soldier no it doesn't work with Martha does it it just doesn't work so it's the same with David Tennant. you sometimes get those lines that he has to deliver the 900 year Time Lord types of scenes and they are painful to listen to <laughs> I just sit there and go don't please can I just cut that play out now let's move on to the next bit get him saying Banner Capalata a few times that's that's funnier yeah little red conquer.
0: <laughs> wow I think Voyage Down is just a great fun episode actually <laughs> And it's a Rusty Davis script that works as well, more or less.
1: Yeah, that's what it says on a tin.
0: Well, yeah, but the, I think the point with that I'm making is it's not some deus ex machina at the end. It's one of those ones where the end of the story matches up with the story itself, which doesn't always happen.
1: And it's a big barrel of fun. Actually, it's quite, I say it's a big barrel of fun. It's actually quite sad, isn't it? Voyage like of one? the Damned. Yeah. Ish. I just remember everybody dies. you compare it with the obvious Poseidon Adventure, you've got you know, like Shelley Winters and characters like that. We just own red buttons and you don't want them to die and then they keep getting picked off one by one and I just couldn't give a toss. About,
0: About the people in Voyager the Dam. No, couldn't give a toss. I don't know, I don't think that's true. I think Well, that's a personal thing, isn't it? But, I think I think he's actually taking the time, even though it's supposed to be an hour long Doctor mm-hmm. Who Christmas special, I think He's actually taken the time to give you enough and cast interesting enough actors in those parts to make it worth it. You you remember, you're talking about big Hollywood movie versus little BBC TV special.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Relatively speaking. The most
1: unlikable character survives. Yeah, but that's actually a good thing. Okay. And don't forget Mr... What is, what's Mr name? Copper Mr Copper mm. Copper Foundation Copper He's alive Yeah he's great
0: Anyways Right Shall we mm. score this sucker then?
1: Can I just say something about the music?
0: Okay so, go on.
1: Murray Gold's music in this Was particularly good It wasn't very intrusive And there was a lovely little moment of comedy in The comedy kind of beats At the beginning Where they're talking to Queen Victoria Just about right And then when you get them running up and Down the stairs There's some absolutely cracking music happening there as well. But like I say, it's not intrusive. And that's the best kind of Murray Gold music there is. That's me said. <laughs> and and it, it wasn't overly, uh, is the word ostentatious? No, I don't know. It's a good word, though. <laughs> was just Well, that bit where you said about where they're running up and down the stairs, I was thinking, oh, that music sounds really modern, considering the setting. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, you were thinking about it, were you? Mm. Well, maybe it was intrusive <laughs> i got to
0: say, I wasn't as keen on this as I think he's I think his music's got a lot more subtle and intricate now. Yes, I agree. Oh, I think his this music bit...
1: from season six onwards is just ridiculously good, mm. I think. Mm.
0: Mm. I think back in this period, there are the music in Girl in the Fireplace and then later on things like Silence in the Library, oh, and The Impossible Planet. Wonderful music in The mm. Impossible Planet. He, uh, I didn't think it was intrusive. I thought there were a couple of moments where he was too high up in the mix. Yeah, there was just a couple of the bit where the f- first mention of Torchwood House. Oh yeah. And no, I'm not saying it was too no. high up that it wipes over the dialogue. But it, but it but wasn't. Saying, it
1: wasn't the motif, was it? It wasn't the Torchwood motif.
0: No, it wasn't the Torchwood motif. Which but what it was was because it because the music came in with the mention of Torchwood, and because there was no dialogue, so they put the music up quite high. What it did was. Really flagged up Torchwood oh, well, way more than but it. But none of us
1: like that scene anyway, so we can we can edit that. You know, this is the stuff.
0: start of the episode. Oh was it? First mention of Torchwood House. Where they arrive. Okay. Welcome yeah. to Torchwood House. I'll be Dum dum, dum Dum Oh yeah.
1: yeah. Could <coughs> have that though, wouldn't you? At that point though, yeah. let's think about it. at that point we'd had the rumour of the Torchwood series, hadn't we? Yeah, and we were mm. all really excited. So, as fans, we knew. No, no, that no. Much. We but had Torchwood
0: a... themselves blowing up the Sickerax at the end of the Christmas invasion. Yes, of course we did.
1: But of course we, were... we did. No, thought... no, no, no. I think we, fans, had... we were really excited about this. We, we
0: had Torchwood themselves shooting Russell T. Davis's story arc in the foot. In the Christmas Invasion. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'll do. I'll seed the entire series with this mysterious mentions of this mysterious organisation. And then throw the whole lot out the window by having them blow up a bunch of aliens in a story set before I've even done the arc. I oh, know,
1: I oh, know. But he must have been thinking on his feet a lot of the time. Well, that's, really that's why that's really you right. should be
0: careful not to shoot yourself in the foot if you're thinking on your feet. Shoot yourself in the sycoraxe. Right, let's give it a score.
1: Well, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good, actually. This is supposed to be an average, average episode, isn't it? I'm going to give it an 8, actually. Simon? I'm going to be give it a generous. I think it deserves an 8. I could mark it down on certain little eeks, but I think it deserves to be an 8.
0: And I'm going to give it a, an 8. Okay. Yes, three eights. Well, well, well. That's not bad. That's pretty good. It's only 24 out of 30. That's six marks he's lost.
1: So why is this an average episode? What what do people see in this as being an average episode? No,
0: when I said, let's do an average episode, what I meant was a sort of an episode that's not... Because we did Rose, right? And then I said for the tenant and for the Matt Smith, rather than do something that's particular, like Midnight is the... Midnight is the companion light and Turn Left is the Doctor light... And both of those stories do something radically different from what's around them. Mm. So rather than doing an introduction episode, or a finale episode, a wrapping up episode, or an episode that does something very different, the criteria really was that it had to be a normal episode. Okay. Do you
1: know what else is good about this, and how well judged it is, uh, in a certain amount of contrast to the Vampires episode, Vampires of Venice, we immediately pick up on the Vampires thing of how, it, oh no, it's a, it's not really a vampire, it's a an alien species who behaves like a vampire but we haven't picked up on that in the whole time we've been talking about the fact that it was a werewolf oh no was it was it just a werewolf no it wasn't it was an alien species who was traveling through the blood and that's how they explained it yeah and none of us have turned around and said oh such a shame it wasn't a proper werewolf no actually that was that was brilliant all of that kind of seeding of that and the black eyes and the the fact that you know that the the creatures within that that body and Mm. actually the human and the werewolf thing combination—he was actually quite enjoying being this creature, and he was being creepy and all. That was really fantastic. the The problem I had was the idea of the Empire of the Wolf. You know, it's this kind of. How, who are these wolves that that come from outer space and um, you know, what do the, I'd love to see them in their jumpsuits driving around in their spaceships? They look quite amusing, would not they? So that's the kind of thing. Oh, that, but they're apparent. According to that, was a, they're a parasite. That's oh, okay. how they get around. They're a parasite in the blood, right? So that they're not always wolves, or they always are wolves. Always well, they bind a, nupi a nupi.
0: space traveler, and then when the space tra- traveler arrives on a new planet, the infection in his blood would eventually affect infect the population of that planet, right? Until they were all that species. So, so they will be very public, got more in common with
1: alien. I, I guess the what right. <clears throat> they call it the, zi- the zygote is it no. I think what they call it. Cyglot. I'm trying to think what the word Psycho? is. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. There's a word they use for the. Xenomorph. Xenomorph. That's the word I'm looking for. Cyglot's good,
0: though. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, so now that we've had that, are we going to mark it down to a seven? <laughs> yeah, seven
1: points. No, no, because I, I think it's a positive. I think it's a positive because I've, I have a. Yeah, no, an you've explained it's this. been a virus as opposed to just werewolves driving around in spaceships and mm. invading planets and making steampunk retro ships flying around in London. Yeah, now, yeah. I would like to see that future though happen, if that's okay. Could somebody write
0: that? Or well, the werewolves <laughs> in space helmets.
1: <laughs> the Empire of the Wolf.
0: Well, a bit like the spacemen sort of thing in uh, Silence of the Library, but instead of a skull, you've got a. Very wolfed, <laughs> dear blue boxes. I quite liked your last two podcasts. They were okay and quite funny. The first one was all about the unicorn and the wopsy, which was your David Tennant episode, which I quite liked. Lee and Simon were messing around at the beginning, pretending to be wopsies, and JR said muffed, which made me laugh. <laughs> Lee kept talking about bees, which was odd because the story wasn't about bees. JR. <clears throat> J.R. was talking about how Alan T. Davis didn't like hand jobs when he was in charge, which is not what I'd heard at all. He said that apparently Graham Garden, who did the directions, had to fight to have a hand job. I sympathized with that as I have also had to fight for them, except that it didn't do me any good as I didn't get one, so I went home and my hand got tired again. Anyway, J.R. said that Graham liked to film from low angles. I do that with my camera as well, which is why I have been banned from going into ladies' toilets. <clears throat> You all chatted about the story which did have a big wopsy, but didn't have a unihorn in it which was disappointing as I haven't seen one for a long time. I did see one once when I was on holiday in the country. A big white horsey with a massive horn. I don't know why the story was about it anyway so it wasn't one of my favourites although it did have a who used to have the best bottom in the world which made me happy, not to mention Richard Bryars. Okay. Did you edit that? I have just edited that, ah, yes. Yes, okay. For rudeness? Yes, of course. <laughs> after <laughs> this, like that, After this, you talked about a video about Zygons, which had nipples and suckers in it, so I am going to try and watch it. Lee said that the Zygons sucked the nipples of Susan Sarandon, which I tried to do once and was thrown out of a theatre as a result. Anyway, it sounds good and I will try to watch it. You also talked about Survivors, which J.R. said didn't follow through. I quite often follow through, which is why I have been made to sit at the back of the bus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Only the cool kids got to the back of the bus. That's hardly <laughs> right, right,
0: is it? <clears throat> well, the cool kids didn't sit at the back of the bus when Sharrat Jiz was sitting at no. the back of the J.R. had been watching a film called Frequently about a man who liked a lady but was only able to spend one minute a year with her because after that she started throwing up. This sounds a lot like me every day when I meet girls so maybe the film is about me. Your last podcast was all about umpires and venison which was the Matt Smith story you didn't like much. I liked it a lot as it had lots of lovely umpire girls which was a bit like Buffety the umpire shaver except that the nice girls were usually not umpires in that. I liked... Cornelius, Buffety, Anger and Willow who was called that because of the umpires Umpires and Venison was filmed abroad in Venison, which is a town in Spain where they left the taps running one day and have had problems ever since JR kept talking about coverage which I think there is too much of especially with Clara, who should be uncovered a lot more the main lady in this was the fishy queen. I think I met her once based on what I could smell. <laughs> Simon said at the end she took her clothes off, which didn't make sense, although it makes perfect sense to me and probably explained how she got her name. He also said that Rory was a wet dick, which is a bit rude. Did you
1: call him a wet dick?
0: I don't think I did. Did you? I wasn't, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't even I mean, in that one. I've been listening one. <laughs> to a few of these. You get
1: Simon and Lee mixed up sometimes. I, I did, but I wasn't in the last one. So it must have
0: could any been you, couldn't it? Yeah, must have
1: been. Did he say wet dick? Yeah. Or for Rory? Yeah.
0: He's a bit of a wet dick in this one. <laughs> I
1: thought it was quite good. Probably. Oh, well. Well, he was a bit wet though. You yeah, it, Not great sure. acting,
0: wet dick performance. <laughs> That's the character he's playing. Simon said that the umpire girls were from Grange Hill. Like, Oh, it was me. Yes, that was me. <clears throat> like the umpire in the Kurds of Tantric, but they were much nicer <laughs> than any of those, especially the annoying one who liked Roland. JR said they,
1: Roland, Roland.
0: Jr. said they used fish eyes to make it, but I missed that bit. And also went and, and deck turned up to make them eat them. <laughs> I like I'm a Celery, because there is always nice girls on it each year. My favourite was Windolene Clasp, who looked very nice in the shower, and my hand got very, very tired. Anyway, in the end, the fishy queen went for a swim and didn't come back, which was a shame, as she was a real filth, and I hope she comes back again, preferably wet. At the end, there was a nice letter from Blake Carrington, who mentioned me, and then you talked about the upcoming election and who to vote for. I am not sure who to vote for. The choice is between David Cumberbund, Dr Legg from Neighbours, the Steve Miller Band, and Nigel Garage. If I lived in Italy, then it would be easy, because they usually have a sexy lady to vote for. But this lot are not nice, which makes me a floating voter, or as it is usually called, a floater. I sometimes do a floater, especially if I have followed through. Right at the Too end.
1: <laughs> really?
0: <laughs> right at the end, Simon talked about an eight incher and said I would like that. I have had emails which promise to make that happen, but as yet it is nowhere close. Your friend Sharek. Cheers.
1: Yeah. I think we should have um, we should have that after the music. Like an after credits moment so people can prepare themselves for that. <laughs> 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 uh-huh. Time to breathe.
0: I think, dear blue boxers, I quite liked your last podcast. should be enough of a signal by now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Right, next time, unless something else comes up in the meantime, next time we'll be talking about Night Terrors. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) And then at some point after that, we'll do Gridlock. Mm. And then you know what I think we should do? Either a two- or three-parter from the classic series. Mm. Yes, what a good idea. There not too many two or three parts. We'll, we'll be sure watching that
1: straight one. away and then talk about it after all.
0: No, like we usually do. Yeah. All right.
1: Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah.
0: Let's see how it goes. Because we wouldn't really have time to do a whole podcast if we watched like a four-parter or a we've, six-parter. We've not watched much classic Who together,
1: have we? Yeah. No. No. Delta and the Burnham then. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, well so, I don't know is it a f- car crash podcast
0: <laughs> well it may not be watching it in the company of us two may raise your experience on it Sharrock sure. yeah I know <laughs> until then then I was JR
1: I was Lee and I was Simon what the hell
0: did you see that no something came down Like a light meteor or something? No. That's just... Can't you see that? I can see it. It's like a glow in that field over there. Something's happening in that field over there.
1: We're quite near the airport anyway, so
0: what... No, 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 something fell. Something fell. fell. There's something on fire over there in that field. Point it out. Just open the door, go out the front and look. Come on. Something's going. You can. Something's going on out there. It's not just what. No, look. It's. It's not just glowing. Something's going on. Hang on. There's In there's that there. field, just over there. There's there's something there. fell.